This is a Clock Shelves Podcast Network production. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lost with Friends. Feels so good to say that. Been a little bit since I recorded an episode, and I'm joined. I'm your host, by the way, Paul. I'm, wow, it's clearly been a while since I've done this. <laughs> I am joined by two wonderful guys today uh, on this episode. Go ahead and reintroduce yourselves, guys. Uh, I'm Steve Peterson. Uh, Mike Gilman. Two of the best photographers that I know joining Humble Me today. Thank you guys so much for being on here. And uh, today we're going to be discussing Happily Ever After. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but like a very long time ago when I was starting to map out the ending, Steve, this was one you like requested early on, correct? I have no idea, honestly. It's possible. Okay. I feel like this it's, was it's, one. <laughs> it's been a long time, so yeah, I'm not, I'm not sure. But it's definitely possible. And I, I, but I do know that you two have been wanting to do an episode together. I don't think I've had the two of you on the same episode before, but I know you two have been wanting to to get on an episode together as well. So here we mm-hmm. are. Yeah. yeah, nice, nice. So uh, happily ever after, a Desmond episode, one of our longer, um, like, kind of the well, it's a flash sideways, but it takes like the whole or most of the length of of the episode. And I gotta say. I'm still, even all this time later, still a little thrown off by some of the Eloise stuff. Obviously, we'll get into that when we're going over it. But I want to say at the at the top of this, I kind of like this one. You know, I, I don't know if this is one that's like a fan favorite or anything, but like it has Charlie. It has some hints towards what we're going to find out in the end. Uh, one of the recurring things throughout all of the season six episodes I've done so far is that people don't necessarily like season six, you know, the, with a lot of the, the temple stuff. And then just the feeling that until the finale, a lot of the flash sideways don't mean anything, whatever this whole war between Widmore and man in black, whatever this is to me, this is a nice Desmond and Charlie episode. Like we used to have, it's a nice Desmond and Penny episode. Like I kind of dig this one. I mean, I definitely like the episode, but I loved season six. I thought it was it's really interesting seeing kind of more of the history of the island brought to the front with the temple and Dogen and, and all that stuff. Um, but I also really liked taking it off the island and kind of seeing what was going on with, with the Flash sideways. Obviously, it wasn't a future or past thing when we were watching it. So I was trying to figure out what was going on. Did they actually change time or, or what did they do? I, I thought season six was great. I agree. I, I absolutely agree. I, I enjoyed seeing the history of the island as well. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I certainly agree with Steve. I also want to say before we get into too many stuff here, um, I have not watched Lost since 2017, which is insane for me. But I'm trying to kind of forget stuff so it's more exciting when I rewatch it. So if there's something I don't recall right away, just give me a moment because it's been a while. I mean, we're all in agreement that we're all super fans here. So we, we understand it's even myself having done this, I forget a lot of stuff too. So we're not going to, we're not going to crucify you for it, but it is nice to hear you guys kind of give some praise to season six. Like I said, uh, some of the, the feedback, and I'm not saying I agree or disagree because there is a lot 
that I don't necessarily like about season six, but there's a lot of uh, moments that I do like. But it is nice to hear you guys both say that you, you kind of like season six because I think one of the overwhelming uh, feelings amongst at least people in like our sort of friend group or, you know, the, the lost con people that I tend to have on the show, their feeling is that season six is one of the, the lesser seasons. I mean, I think every season, um, I, I discussed this with someone a few weeks back, that every season is the best season for its own reasons. Um, everything, every, every season was so different, in my opinion, but everyone has something that stands out to make it like, man, that, like, when you think about them separately, you know, that season was, that, that was my favorite season for such and such reason, but then another season was. So I think everything just has its own reason to stand out. None of them are bad. Yeah, I agree. I, I think it's 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 kind of unfair to compare them in that way. Mm-hmm. They are, like he said. Hmm. I never, I mean, that's, I, I never thought about it that way. It is true. Like, there are certain things, like, I mean, personally, I like, uh, like, five and three, you know, that, but that also doesn't necessarily take away from, you know, one, two, four, and six. Not, not that I don't like those other ones, but, like, if I had to, if somebody was like, what's your favorite season? I would probably say, like, season five or season three for very particular reasons. But, no, I, I do like that, the fact that, you know, it's it's not necessarily the best thing to, uh, to compare them. I mean, if I had to pick one, it's definitely season five just because time travel is my favorite thing. Um, But even looking at like season one versus two, they were completely different feels to them. And uh, season two was was a better season because we got to see the hatch and we got to learn about the Dharma initiative. But season one was a better season because it introduced everything and brought us to the island. So, I mean, everything is just it's got its perks and And I don't know. It's, it's one of those things, and I mean, I've found this, and I think we could all agree, especially upon doing a rewatch, um, the, the fact that, like you said, every, you know, season has its own merits, and like, like personally, I, you know, when you compare them, I, I would say season one probably ranks lower, because season two had the hatch, season three had the others, and then, you know, the... Uh, time travel and flash forward and all of that sort of stuff. And so to me, season one is like kind of low on the, on the, the, the rankings only because it's like the beginning and it doesn't mm-hmm. compare to what came after it. But I remember when I was doing, you know, like, like the, the podcasts uh, in season one, I remember being like, Oh wow. Like I forgot that like this awesome moment happened all the way back here or like, Oh wow. This set up something that they didn't pay off until season six or whatever. Mm-hmm. So like it, it does, it definitely does have that, that sort of thing to it. Yeah. Season one was great in that it, it was, it, it certainly set up uh, a lot of great mysteries. Yeah. It was kind of like the mystery builder season, right? But like, but like I said, like for me, by comparison, I'm just like, oh, like I remember going and being like, oh, I have to, you know, kind of drudge through season one. But then it was like, no, it was really, it was really fun. <laughs> yeah, I've never felt like I've seen the show, I think, 13 times now. And I've never felt I had to like, oh, here we go with this season with the exception of I think it was the first like six episodes of season three, just because at that time they were dealing with the the contract dispute and there yeah, was like, I think their writer strike. So it was kind of like, where are we going to go from here? Um, and that's the only part I really feel is kind of like, and it's even, even watching it again, it's not that bad, but there's just a few episodes in there where you're like, all right, let's get the story going. Let's move it on. Yeah. All right. So, uh, 
with all of that, do we want to get into this episode, Happily Ever After, Desmond-centric episode? Let's do it. Let's do it. All right, here we go. So we start out on the island in a hospital bed with Desmond uh, there in the bed as Zoe is adjusting his IV drip. She's introducing herself to him and tells him how he's been unconscious for three days before telling him that they had to move him out of the hospital. He freaks out and starts to get up demanding to see Penny, but Widmore tells him that that isn't possible. He starts to feel, he being Desmond, starts to feel groggy as they get him back in the bed. And Desmond questions what happened to him, and Widmore reminds him that he was shot by Ben Linus. Desmond remembers that, but wants to talk to Penny. And Widmore then informs Desmond that Penny isn't there, but her and Charlie Hume are perfectly safe. However, they, Widmore and Desmond, are back on the island. Widmore doesn't apologize, but says he knows that Desmond is upset. Desmond hops out of bed once again and beats Widmore with the IV stand. Two goons then come in and restrain Desmond, while Widmore yells for them not to hurt Desmond. Uh, Desmond then demands to be taken back to the real world, but Widmore gives him the classic line, The island isn't done with you yet. And, uh, you know, Widmore starts to leave and goes on to another scene, but I kind of want to talk about this here for a moment. Uh, We didn't see much of Desmond really since um, he got shot by Ben, back in season five he was kind of absent for for quite a few episodes and um you know we get the 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 island isn't done with you line and all that and we see a very different uh widmore desmond thing kind of later on in the flash sideways but i I don't know what do you guys think about this scene what do you guys think about zoe because i don't think you guys have been on since zoe has been here and she's a very uh, uh a lot of people have a lot of things to say about that character so what do you guys what do you think uh, I think Zoe just she kind of reminds me of a poor man's Tina Fey. I, I was going to say the same thing. Yeah, the exact yeah. same thing. I don't know. I, I I don't have a strong feeling about her either way. Honestly, I mean, I always thought there was something kind of up with her. She seemed a bit too. Uh, when we first meet her, again, it's been so long since I watched it. I I know the story, but I don't know which part come before what so at this point does she say that she's was a survivor of the ajira flight yet yeah yeah we had already seen that part by this point okay so when she said that i knew there was something up with her it just the fact that she survived and was separate from everyone else um there seems something's going on so was this the first time we we see that she's working with widmore no we saw okay in that in that one it's her and sawyer and she's and actually i believe i if i remember correctly i had jake on that episode and he i believe also said the same thing about her being a poor man's tina fey <laughs> yeah um but it's apparently animus yeah. yeah so but I, I from that episode she basically you know her and sawyer were going back and forth as to like who could con who better and i always said that when she says something about her boyfriend in Guam and that's when Sawyer pulls the gun on her and he's like, you're good, but you're not that good. And okay. I always, I always wonder if that was kind of Sawyer's way of being like, there's no way you have a boyfriend. Hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I need wow. to watch the whole show again because I, I don't know where we're at in this timeline. Um, but yeah, she definitely from the first sign of her, there was something up with her. Um, and then just Widmore bringing Desmond back, 
I mean, obviously we get it why he did it now, but that's just a dick move to begin with. He finally got off and he's, you know, uh, Widmore, who never cared about him at all. He's just like, all right, well, now I care about you. Now I need to bring you back. And Widmore's just a dick. He is. He's a selfish dick. Uh, absolutely. But I feel like, I mean, when we look at it in terms of the end, you know, he is, and I believe he even says it in this episode, like the fact that he gave up everything for better or worse. He gave up a relationship with his wife at the time, meaning Eloise. He gave up a relationship with his daughter and his son, the potential to see his grandson and all of this stuff in service of partly in service of power and selfishness. Mm -hmm. But I would also argue in terms of the Island, because even if he was in power, he still felt it was, he felt he was the best to be in power on the island. And at some point, I believe he said or says that he, uh, you know, met with Jacob and whatever. So eventually he became a, a real, like, true believer, I would like to think. So it, it is, I don't want to say it's a tragic story because it's very much selfishly motivated. But, like, mm-hmm. he does have a lot of things where it's like, wow, he did give up a lot for some things that he didn't have to at all. I mean, he did, but at the same time, he also gave up his his rightful position on the island by going and having a child with an outsider and with, you know, taking constant trips back and forth. So it's not like he was a perfect leader that got booted. Then he's like, oh, I want my stuff back. He he gave it up himself by breaking the rules, essentially. So Very true. Uh, as Widmore leaves... Uh, Zoe and Jin are outside with Jin asking why Desmond is there and Widmore offers to uh, show Jin telling Zoe to take Jin uh, there while he gets Desmond ready. Zoe's concerned saying the test isn't supposed to be until tomorrow but Widmore wants it done now. Moments later Zoe and Jin that's like I don't know why it feels like a tongue twister to say Zoe and Jin uh <laughs> are in the generator room or something, and Zoe informs the personnel that the test is happening now, but one of the men says that they're not even close to being ready and how the generator hasn't run in about 20 years. Jin questions, or continues to question what's going on, and Zoe once again mentions running a test. The workers and Zoe begin to get everything set up as much as they can, trying to turn all the equipment on to power it up. Something isn't working, and one of the workers gets sent down to check it out. And when that person's gone, one of the other workers realizes the problem, flips a switch, causing the machine to turn on, emit a bright light, and fry the worker that was inside. As it gets turned off, Zoe, Jin, and another worker go check on the now-dead worker, who got fried, of course. And Widmore arrives, asking if they're ready, as Desmond, being dragged into the room, sees this dead body. Wow. Yeah. Moments later, the body is being removed. He tells, uh, Widmore tells his goons to get Desmond into the room. All the while, Desmond, having seen that body, protests this. Widmore's goon asks if Desmond has any metal on him, and Widmore calls this man an idiot by saying, of course he doesn't. I always get a chuckle out of that line. Uh, Widmore then tells Desmond he's going to ask Desmond to make a sacrifice and hopes Desmond will go along with it. 
he says uh, he tells Desmond how his son Daniel died on that island and his daughter Desmond's wife hates him he's never met his grandson he needs this sacrifice from Desmond or everything will have been for nothing we kind of just touched on that a moment ago and Widmore and his people leave before Desmond starts screaming and banging on the door Widmore instructs his crew to turn the machine on but Jin demands answers first and Wid. Widmore mentions how Desmond has been the only person that he knows of that survived a catastrophic electromagnetic event, and Widmore wants to see if Desmond can do it again, and they turn on the machine, but hesitantly. Desmond is seen screaming uh, to be let out as a bright light engulfs the room and himself. What do you guys think, Steve, especially you, like having not seen some of this in a little while, you said, you know, about about maybe forgetting a little bit. Like, what do you think about this almost not first time watching, but watching in a while? What what, what do you guys think about this? Well, I mean, this scene uh, was a memorable one for me because um, it's one of those things that uh, mm-hmm. I like that they set it up back in season two when he turned the fail safe. Um, and I'm assuming that's what they're referring back to is he was the only one to survive this electromagnetic storm uh from when he initially turned the fail safe key or just from being in the hatch for for so long um kind of being used to the electromagnetic rays of science whatever you want to call them um so that was really cool to see that but the, what, what threw me uh the first time watching it was again we didn't know at the time what the flash sideways were and the last time we saw something like this was when he turned the fail safe and he went traveling through time in what the flashes before your eyes i believe um so at this point it's we're trying to figure out is is the flash sideways another time travel thing is he actually going through you know uh consciously through time again or what was going on so that was a, a fun kind of mystery to try to figure out what was going on with with this experiment that they were doing well it's weird right because like i mean and maybe i've just not gotten it this whole time but like because of what the sideways is is he is he traveling is is he in a weird way is he kind of traveling through not time and space but like is he dead did he die temporarily like or like what like i'm not again i I don't want to say i'm not sure because like in terms of the overall show i get it but like i always took it to be like because they say it was like 20 seconds or whatever uh at Uh the end but like we know the sideways is is actually the flash afterlife basically so he's dead like it's kind of weird and it it feels like one of those things. And it's something that I've talked about with some of the other guests of the whole thing of, if you try to figure out the sideways too much, if you start to break it down a little too much, it all falls apart because of the fact that, you know, time doesn't exist and all of that. When you, when you look at the sideways. So if you, if you try to, you know, pull it too many strings, it all falls apart. So like, I don't necessarily focus on it too much, but like to me, it was always like, okay, so they basically killed him to see if he could handle this. I mean, I kind of was wondering the same thing when I watched it this weekend to kind of refresh myself. Um, And yeah, I'm not quite sure because like I said, the previous time we've seen him do this was in, in the fail safe and he, his consciousness traveling through time. Um, And then this one, you can technically say sort of that it went, forward in time because until after everyone's dead but again there's no time in the sideways so it's 
it kind of jumbles like you say but yeah so i'm guessing they they killed him and then brought him back for a bit i yeah it's one of those things it's kind of better just to not really think about it they they pressed the button and he flashed and then he's back so yeah what do you think mike no i i I agree I, i think you know if if you try to drill down too much uh, you know, it's it's just you you you'll go nuts. I, th- I think it's best to take this at face value. Um, you know, kind kind of like we were, you know, like, like Steve was saying. Uh, so suddenly, as we said, we are in the flash sideways with Desmond in LAX, looking at the oceanic arrivals screen. Hurley walks by and informs him that he's looking for Carousel 4, of course, one of the numbers, and that's where the bags from the Sydney flight are. Uh, Desmond thanks him before noticing Claire struggling with her bags. He helps her and asks about the baby, and she's hesitant when answering boy or girl, and he apologizes for prying. Uh, She tells him that she doesn't know, and he comments that she's braver than he would be, and he doesn't like surprises. Uh, He asks if she has someone meeting her because he has a car and would take her where she needs to go. She thanks him but tells him that someone is picking her up. And as she begins to walk away, Desmond guesses that her baby will be a boy. And I want to take a brief moment here to point out the fact that if she had just taken this ride, she wouldn't have gotten caught up with that whole Kate situation. So I think that's kind of funny. Um But as Desmond continues walking, he sees George Minkowski holding up the sign for him, indicating that he's the driver. They exchange greetings with Desmond, informing George he wants to go to the office instead of the hotel. George makes it a specific point to tell Desmond that if Desmond needs anything, George can help. And he mentions companionship. But Desmond tells George that he's there on business. George gets the message to stay in his place, and they go off. So already here we have, uh, I mean, we've seen in the Flash Sideways Desmond interact with Jack very briefly. And of course, we were very curious kind of at the beginning as to like why he's on the, the uh, flight this time, because that was not how it was in the original uh, timeline, of course. And now he's interacting in the Sideways with Hurley and Claire. He guesses the baby's going to be a boy. Like Desmond being one of those characters that kind of exists in this weird thing. And, you know, we could touch on it a little more with Eloise as well. He is, and this episode very much kickstarts kind of the second or the, the last uh, section of season six in that he is very much the crux of the sideways by the end of this episode, almost certainly. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I just, I think it's interesting that so far he's, interacted with Jack and Hurley and Claire. We see Minkowski back again and Desmond in this is all business. So that's interesting as well. One other thing I noticed, uh, it's not anything special, but when I watched it this weekend, uh, when he's looking at the, the board of the flights arriving, the first one on there was Guam. And that was kind of fun. Nice. (laughs) Um, A bit later, Desmond arrives at the office, and he is sent right in. It's Widmore's office, and Widmore and Desmond are ecstatic to see each other again, with Widmore calling Desmond my friend, and they even hug. A few moments later, still in Widmore's office, uh, Desmond is looking at a model ship while Widmore is on the phone. Widmore's demanding to get someone arraigned and out of their jail, no matter the cost. 
After hanging up, he explains to Desmond that their celebration has to be cut short due to his, Widmore's, son being a fantastic musician who's having a concert tonight being thrown by Widmore's wife. The son had the idea to mix classical music with rock music and drive shaft, uh, the bassist for which has been arrested on drug charges, and now Widmore must get him out. Desmond realizes he's tasked with babysitting the rocker, and Widmore apologizes for the job, but Desmond is the only person that he can trust. Desmond isn't upset at all, and they exchange compliments of each other and how they're both blessed to feature the other in their lives. I'm not going to lie, I almost gagged at how, like, falling over each other they are, like, especially having seen them at each other's throats for so long, and now there's just, like, a giant love fest. I almost gagged when I was... (laughs) Quite the surprise, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then Widmore offers Desmond, uh, some of the McCutcheon whiskey saying nothing's too good for you before they share a drink. So yeah, like you said, Mike, quite the big, uh, surprise here that Desmond and Widmore are basically best friends. You know, he's calling him, you're Desmond, my boy, like all these things. Like, it's just, it's so, it's I mean, that's one thing I I did like about the sideways was it gave us these kind of peeks into, you know, what could have been different. You know, we see Jack with his son, which, you know, did or didn't exist, depending on on how you uh, uh, look at certain uh, things like have been talked about here on the podcast. But, um, you know, like Jack has his son, you know, Sawyer is a cop, you know, and here in terms of kind of, and Eloise says it a little later, like getting what you, you know, what you always wanted, Desmond and Widmore are actually friendly here. Like it's, it's so interesting how they did these slight little twists, but yeah. What do you guys think? That was one of my favorite parts of season six was again, trying to figure out what the sideways was. Um, Because at the end of season five, we're led to believe that we're going to, you know, we're going to, set off the bomb and destroy the Swan uh, station. And we're going to change time from what originally happened. And this was in theory, a, uh, at the time of watching it, everyone was kind of under the belief that this was what would have happened if eight fifteen didn't crash. Yeah. So it was kind of interesting trying to see like, if eight fifteen didn't crash, why would Jack have a son? Because it wasn't like he had a son prior to the crash. So how would he all of a sudden have like a, 13 year old son or why would Desmond now be working with Widmore? Um, so it, it was, it was interesting to see what they were doing, but at the same time that, that was definitely lead you away from that idea. Um, and the whole Desmond uh, and Widmore best pals was laid on a little bit thick, I think. Um, yeah. I, I think like you said, and I, I would definitely agree. And I think most people that we know would agree that was one of the best things about season six was kind of figuring out what the sideways was i think i said a little earlier how a lot of people don't necessarily like season six in retrospect and i think that's partly why is because a lot of the fun at the time of season six was trying to figure out you know sort of well what is the sideways but like now because we all know like a lot of people say that they would much rather just kind of cut right to the the final episode you know, or just watch kind of the on island stuff because a lot of the sideways stuff, again, knowing what we know now, 
kind of quote unquote doesn't matter. And actually, Charlie yeah. even says that a little later. Yeah. I could definitely I've, see I've heard that. that yeah. So much. Yeah. Yeah. That, that season six could have been cut in half, you know, yeah. uh, and, and the point still. But I personally, I still enjoyed it. Oh, for sure. And actually, yeah. I believe it was um, I believe it was Kevin uh, who said um, something along the lines of it would be interesting. And I, I've never watched it. Maybe one of you guys has watched uh, Chronologically Lost where I would assume all of the Flash Sideways stuff is kind of at the end. So maybe you see all the on-island stuff at one point, and then you see all of the Sideways stuff together as one. I feel like maybe that could uh, that could work out a little bit better, but just seeing it like this, it's like, eh, now, that is now. I mean, the whole thing for the chronological loss is really hard to watch for me, just because the first episode um, is uh, Across the Sea. So you're giving all this information and you're like, what's going on? I have like, you know, if you've never seen it before, you'd have no idea what's even remotely happening. Um, and as you slowly progress through the history of the island, then after you get through the Dharma Initiative stuff in the 70s, it comes to a screeching halt where it just shows all the the flashbacks. And without the on-island stuff, the flashbacks are some of the most boring TV I've ever seen because <laughs> there, there's no context. I mean – Right. One of the best things about the show is how they managed to have this crazy on-island story, and then they juxtapose it with this kind of very realistic off-island story of what made them who they were, and everything relates back and forth. But when you watch those without the context of the island, you're just like, okay, cool, son broke a glass ballerina. <laughs> yeah. Now what? Yeah. So. Um, and I, I've never actually made it through the whole thing to see where they put the flash sideways stuff, but I'm assuming it's at the end. I never thought, I mean, I've, I've thought about the fact that like you would see the, the sideways or the, not sideways, I'm sorry, but the flashbacks, but I never thought about the fact that like, yeah, they would be incredibly boring. Cause you just think of like some of the more exciting, uh, you know, flashbacks, like you think about, and I don't, I don't necessarily mean exciting in terms of like a lot of action, but, um, Jack, like, the stuff, like, like with his, like everything with Sarah, you know, like if, to see all of that play out at once, I feel like could be kind of nice. But like you said, mm-hmm. like, like some of those, and I mean, I, I'm not saying any, anything against Jin and Son, but like, I don't necessarily care about their characters as much as say Sawyer or Kate or someone. Cause they always, even though they were main characters, I always felt they were more B characters than A characters. So like, I would care more about, you know, like a Sawyer you know, a series of Sawyer flashbacks more than, you know, Sun and Jin flashbacks. I mean, I, I would agree a hundred percent, but the other problem there is the person that made the thing did such a good job at doing everything chronologically that there's sometimes when stories get interrupted because whatever's happened with Sawyer at this point is also something's happening with Kate. So they're kind of intermixing their, their flashbacks or there's stuff where like this happened in 1995 and then the next part of that same story happened in 97 but some other character had something happen in 96. So you're having this like weird choppy storytelling and without, without the Island, it's just, it's not fun to watch, unfortunately. Hmm. No, and, and I would agree. Uh, I attempted it myself and, and uh, yeah, I mean, not, not, not to take away from the person who, you know, who, who put this together, huge undertaking, obviously, but it's just, yeah, it's just not, not really interesting to me personally. Um, yeah. 
I've never I've never tried it. I know I know obviously you guys have tried it. I know a few other people who have. I feel like after this podcast is all over and after some time has passed, maybe I'll go back and not necessarily watch you know and podcast the whole thing, but maybe I'll try watching a little bit and like doing a podcast ep- like you know maybe a bonus special episode of Lost with Friends where it's like so I tried watching this and you know kind of talk about some of these things. I feel like that could be like an interesting look. Again, not looking at the entirety of it because obviously we've done that with this whole series, but just looking at it from that point of view. If you do that, what I would also um suggest possibly if you could would be to find a friend that has not seen lost and see if they want to watch it the entirety in chronological order and see what they think about it i think that'd be a fun experiment that would be fun i think it would i i i agree and and i and i was kind of thinking that as well like what well, not you know that that idea specifically but if somebody tried to watch chronic chronologically lost without having watched you know, the original uh, seasons, uh, just just what a cluster that would be, honestly. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, especially when you think about, like, the, we, we didn't get really all the full answers about Jacob and everything until the third to last episode of the entire series. And now it's the first episode in Chronologically Lost. So you're just like, hey, here's Jacob. Here's his brother. Hey, he's a smoke monster. There's this whole war going on. And you're like, what the fuck am I watching? I have no <laughs> idea. Um so I yeah, I, I would love to show someone that for the first time and be like, hey, check this out. Let me know what you think. Yeah, yeah. I, that would be really fun. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it, it's – it would just be bad, you know, because that, <laughs> to me that, that's a payoff episode. You know, you're, yeah. you're, you're getting to and, – and personally, I love that episode. But mm-hmm. you're getting it. It's not going to have the same effect because you've not been waiting all these seasons to get this information you're getting it initially with like steve said no context yeah so like what's this even mean to me or the story or you know and, yeah, and the, the especially because completely gone yeah especially because except for you know the the little bits of jacob like when he visits kate as a kid or sawyer as a kid or whatever i would assume right. it's basically that thing you know the that little bit of across the sea maybe one or two other little things and then we don't see him for a while until you get to the on island stuff when they start talking about him again so there's just like this giant i mean you know i've always said and other people have said as well that across the sea is like just a giant kind of download of information episode but you would get that all up front but for chronologically lost it doesn't pay off until way later when you're actually seeing the on island stuff. So it's almost the opposite of how it actually happened. But that'd be really that'd be really interesting to see how that works out though. So it's kinda of like Star Wars where if you you know, there's a whole argument of which order do you show the current generation? Do you watch one through seven or one through nine now or whatever it is, or do you start with four, five, six? Because either way there's a huge spoiler. If you watch four, five, six, then you know that um Anakin's going to become Vader, but then if you watch one through through one through six, then you know that uh, you know Vader is the father. So either way, there's a spoiler in that. So that'd be kind of cool with this as well to 
to watch this first episode um, to see, you know, young Jacob and his brother on the island doing their thing. And then all of a sudden, you know, 20, 30 episodes later, they're back and now they're in the real world and they're talking to these people that technically we saw on an island in the 70s because when you watch it chronologically, they're there in the 70s of the Dharma Initiative. Um, and then all of a sudden they disappear again and then they're back later on at the end of this island stuff. So just to see them keep on popping up, um, I think that'd be a really cool payoff to see it that way. Yeah. For the record, yeah. most times, not every time, but most times, even when I'm rewatching Star Wars, I still go four, five, six, one, two, three. Now, uh, seven, and then eight, just nine. skip seven, eight, nine. Oh no! I mean, I, I, <laughs> that's a whole different uh, discussion for a different yeah. show. But, <laughs> um, but yeah, no. For the most part, like I said, when I'm when I'm rewatching them, I I start out with a new hope. But that's just me. Um, all right. So sometime later, uh, Desmond is at the courthouse to pick Charlie up. And Charlie's lawyer explains part of the situation to Desmond as Desmond introduces himself to Charlie. But, of course, Charlie is uninterested and walks off. He crosses the road just casually walking through oncoming traffic with no regards to himself. And Desmond chases him, and they end up in a bar. And I'm not surprised at all. Uh, And fun fact real quick, because I can't do one of these things without bringing up filming locations. That bar, five miles down the road from the courthouse not across the street <laughs> but nice. the way they edit it it looks like he just crossed the street so that was kind of cool nice yeah yeah uh charlie starts drinking and asking uh desmond what his job for widmore is and uh, charlie asks if asks desmond if he's happy desmond says he is but charlie refutes this charlie asks if desmond has ever been in love and when desmond tries to play this off Charlie makes note of real, spectacular, consciousness-altering love, but Desmond mentions he hasn't seen anything like that, and Charlie confirms it's real, and he saw it on the plane back from Sydney. When Desmond questions this, Charlie says that Desmond couldn't possibly have seen it, but Charlie goes on to explain how there was a woman a few seats in front of him in handcuffs with a cop, and she could tell that he had drugs. He thought he'd get caught, so he went... Uh, to try to swallow his stash, but they hit turbulence. He choked, and he thought he was dying. Then he saw her, a blonde, beautiful woman, and he knows her. Always, uh, They've always been together, and they always will be, and he's feeling things, and suddenly he's back on the plane. But he saw it uh, just for a moment, and Desmond tells him that he should write a song about it, and Charlie brushes him off since Desmond doesn't understand. Uh, they discuss... Truth and Desmond says that Truth is Charlie's choice to keep drinking or come play Widmore's show, and Charlie opts to go with Desmond. Um, this scene always holds a very special place for me because um, years and years back. Now you two know, and and you know some other people who uh, listen to this may know. I write. A lot, and I've always wanted to write, you know, films and TV and stuff. And that's what I, other than doing podcasts, that's what I want to do and I try to do. And years back, like right around the time this was ending, or maybe a year or two after this ended, I wrote a, a movie. It was the first uh, full length uh, uh, screenplay film that I ever wrote. And 
this show and the rebooted Battlestar Galactica are two of my favorite shows of all time. And I took, not word for word, but almost word for word, this description that Charlie gives of, uh, you know, the, his description of, of Claire, of course we find out, his description of Claire and what love is. And I took a few lines from uh, Battlestar Galactica and I put them in there because it, it was a love story. Is it like a, a, a rom-com, basically? But I, I basically took these lines right out of it, plagiarized, for you know, lack of a better word. <laughs> um, but these lines, because to me at the time, they captured exactly what I wanted these characters to say. And... Oh, I'm sorry. Wait, in in film and TV, it's not plagiarism; it's homage. If you do it the right way, <laughs> um, but yeah. yeah, I did. I, I basically I took almost that exact uh, quote by him, word for word, and put it in my screenplay. So every time I go back and watch this, I'm always reminded of how much this scene impacted me the first time I ever watched it. That I was like, "That's it." that's what this character needs to say and how somebody would describe love. And I, you know, by that point I had never been in love. So it was like, to me, I was like that, 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 that right there. And you know, whatever. So I was like that. So I, I, I took all those lines. <laughs> nice. Yeah. So, okay. So we got a big, a big moment here in this, uh, in this scene and it kind of sets up again, what Desmond sees in a little bit and what he I said earlier how he's kind of the the crux of this kind of back section of uh season six and and what he's trying to get all of the the characters to do what do you what do you guys think about how not only how um charlie described love of course that being claire as we as we know but almost also how he um we find it out more and more, but he talks about how basically he had to confront death while already dead, uh, you know, knowing what the, the sideways are. And many of the other characters have similar things, you know, not all of them, like for Sun and Jin, it has to do with, you know, the baby, as we find out. And like, you know, with Jack, it's, you know, the casket and Kate and so on and so forth. But for several of them, it is some sort of danger or near-death experience that they have these like awakening type moments and we get all of that here and of course if you don't know the context of the rest of the the season it doesn't mean anything which is you know kind of how we all felt when we were first watching it but we get a lot of information here that we don't even realize pays off until way later i I've always loved that scene just because Charlie's always been a favorite character of mine. Um, and I know during season three, I think it was, he got a lot of hate for the whole fire and water episode. Um, and then, you know, he died and everything. And then what, but when he finally came back um, and the speech, like you said, it just, the wording was fantastic and it was really heartfelt. Uh, so I really enjoyed that scene. Um, and at the time, like, yeah, we had no clue what was going on. So it was just another great mystery to try to figure out. Yeah. A bit later, they're driving, and Drive Shaft is playing. And Charlie mentions that this is his band, and he keeps talking about how Desmond doesn't really know happiness, and his life isn't what he thinks it is, etc. Now, I want to take a, a, a pause here. So, Charlie has this kind of concept of life 
meaning flash sideways life isn't what it you know what they think it is and none of this matters so desmond basically goes on to convince all of them or make them not convince but make them all realize this thing and whether they whether they know exactly what it is or whether they just know they need to get to the church or whatever does is charlie like does charlie know that this is i mean he we know he knows it isn't real but does he know that about his other life or is he just chasing this woman from his vision do we think I mean, I think it's it's he's just chasing the vision, um, because when we see in the finale, um, he sees Claire in the in the audience at the concert, and he's like he he doesn't recognize. I mean, he recognizes her from the dream, but he's not like, oh hey, it's Claire or whatever. He he just it's it's the vision, and then he goes and sees her backstage, and then that's where he finally remembers everything. So I think at this point, he just knows that something's not right, um, and then he goes into uh, you know just doing drugs and drinking to try to escape whatever's going on. Um, and it's not until the finale where he finally realizes what actually is happening. Yeah. I mean, it, it is a little odd though that, that, uh, you know, and, and, and have we gotten to the point yet where he, you know, he, he turns the wheel of the car and that's what we're um, about to, to get to here. Yeah. yeah okay. okay. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, I think you had to know something was up, uh, you know, yeah, I mean, if he was uh, willing to, to to try to kill Desmond in order to show him what's going on, if he definitely knows something's going on, but I don't think he has the full grasp of right. of what right. it actually is. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Charlie then offers Desmond a choice to show Desmond what he's talking about or to get out of the car, and Desmond is curious. But as uh, we just said, Charlie quickly grabs the wheel, spins them into the harbor. Under the water, Desmond releases his seatbelt and tries waking Charlie up, and Desmond gets to the top of the water, and he's catching his breath, and he goes back after Charlie, but the door won't open. Suddenly, Charlie seems to wake up and put his hand on the window as Desmond has flashes of the Not Penny's Boat scene from the Season 3 finale, and Charlie seemingly goes back to being unconscious. Uh, Desmond gets Charlie out of the car and back to the surface. And sometime later, Desmond is at a hospital being examined, and they ask if he's having some reactions to the accident, such as double vision and hallucinations. He knows what he saw in the car, but doesn't want to tell the doctor. The doctor wants more tests, but Desmond just wants to find Charlie. The doctor almost forces Desmond to get an MRI, and the next thing we see, he's getting ready to be in the machine. The technician, after running through some basic stuff, uses the phrase, the button, which Desmond seems to catch, but he's told it's the panic button in case he freaks out, but try not to freak out. Then he's put in the tube. We start to hear some clanging noises, but Desmond begins to have visions of the original timeline, such as Penny, the birth of his son, and even hearing Penny's voice. He starts to freak out, demanding to be let out, and the technician grants this request as he once again, he being Desmond, goes to find Charlie. So this is twice now he's starting to have this. And I I actually forgot until going through this that it takes him like a like I always thought that it was just Jack mostly that it took like a few times to convince. And I I didn't even think about I didn't even remember until going through all of this that it, you know, Desmond, it took him, you know, the the harbor scene and then this and, you know, whatever to kind of get like as we said before about Charlie kind of figure out really what's going on here. 
Now going back to the harbor scene, um, again, remind me if I'm wrong, but is this the first time we see uh, a flash memory? Yes. Yes, okay. it is. This thing gives me chills every time. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I kind of remember that when I was watching this weekend. Yeah. I, I remember, like, holy crap, um, that like it was such a great scene. I just wasn't sure if we had seen a memory since or prior to that. Um, so that's just a great way to bring those into them. Um, and again, a whole another level of mystery that was on that. Um, and then, of course, I'm sure everyone noticed, but the harbor was that same harbor shot from uh, Penny and Desmond's photo. Yeah. Oh, nice. Nice. Moments later, a nurse is denying Desmond access to find out where Charlie is because he's not a relative. Jack passes by, and Desmond notices him and recognizes him from the flight, and he tells Jack about being with another passenger from their flight. And they both, mostly Jack at this point, start to realize how odd that is. And again, I I said earlier about the fact that, you know, Desmond... You know, he's had interactions with Jack and, you know, uh, Hurley and Claire and Charlie all by this point. And, um, you know, now Jack again. And like I said, Jack is the one who kind of points out that it's odd. And, you know, from we don't really get I, I can't remember off the top of my head, but I don't know if we necessarily get much of a payoff of it, like, you know, kind of spelled out to us. But like because we know Jack is not necessarily a believer in you know, coincidence or, or fate or anything like that. It's kind of funny that he is the one to be like, that's weird, you know? Um, but suddenly Charlie is causing a commotion down the hall, yelling about how none of this matters. As I mentioned before, Desmond then chases Charlie down a stairwell and begins calling after him. Charlie mentions how no one at the hospital can help him. He also says he wasn't trying to kill Desmond just to show him something. Desmond wants to see Charlie's hands, and Charlie realizes it worked. Desmond did see something. Uh, Desmond demands to know who Penny is, but Charlie doesn't have a clue. He keeps mentioning how uh, Desmond feels, but Desmond tries acting like he doesn't. And Desmond decides that they're leaving, but Charlie tells him he isn't going to play a rock concert after all of this. None of this matters. He tells Desmond to stop chasing after him and go find Penny before he, Charlie, leaves. So, Charlie, as much as I said, you know, multiple times now that Desmond is the crux, and I still think he is, Charlie is the one who kind of, you know, definitely sets him on this path, which, looking back on it, is kind of interesting, seeing as Desmond is the one who set Charlie on his final path uh, in the regular timeline, as horrible as that wording was just now, sorry. Um... (laughs) But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's, you know, Charlie, like we said, it's going to chase the, this vision of this, this woman and whatever. And now Desmond is, he's, it's weird because he's turning to Charlie, even though Charlie flat out says, all Charlie seems to say is that he knows that none of this matters and whatever, but he's just like, who's Penny? Like, logically, Charlie wouldn't have any idea, but it's just, it's funny that, that Desmond is turning to Charlie in this moment of, you know, he doesn't know what to do because all of these, you know, things are kind of floating around in his brain now and he, he has absolutely no clue. So obviously who else do you turn to? But Charlie, despite the fact that Charlie is flat out saying, I don't have any answers to this. Well, it's, I I never 
caught that before um, that you mentioned that back in, you know, the real timeline. Uh, so back on the island, uh, I never put this together until you just mentioned it now, is um, Desmond has a vision of his girlfriend, Penny, landing on the island. And that's kind of what starts him and Charlie's whole uh, adventure. And then now this one, they switched around where Charlie has a vision of his girlfriend. And that kind of starts what this whole adventure is. I'd never put that together until he said that. That's really cool. Actually, I'm not going to lie. I came up with it as I was talking. So, <laughs> Well, good on you, man. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Moments later, Desmond is on the phone with Widmore telling him that Charlie is gone. He escaped. Widmore is upset. But Desmond reminds Widmore that Charlie is a junkie who crashed the car, and Desmond sarcastically reminds Widmore that he's fine. Widmore sarcastically responds that he's thrilled, but expects Desmond to do the jobs that he gives him. Widmore then tells Desmond his new task is to tell Mrs. Widmore that it's only a concert, which was Desmond's uh, phrase, and that Charlie isn't coming. And a bit later, George is driving Desmond to the museum, and George wishes Desmond luck meeting Mrs. Widmore. And inside, we see Eloise chastising the staff. Desmond walks up and introduces himself, and they exchange pleasantries before she asks why he's there. He begins to tell her that Driveshaft won't be able to play, but she stops him before he can finish the whole thought. She tells him that it's fine, and he doesn't need to worry about it. She explains that her son will understand, and she tries to send him off. He's very confused. Both Widmore and Minkowski led him to believe that she'd be angry. And as he's leaving, he hears a staffer calling out names, and he specifically hears Penny. He starts uh, to ask to see the names, and Eloise refuses. Now she starts to get angry as he continues to prod. Um, she, well, I'll, I'll just keep going with this scene very briefly. Uh, she pulls him to the side, and as he begins to apologize, she stops him again. She tells him that he needs to stop everything he's doing because someone has clearly affected the way he sees everything, and it's a violation. He needs to stop. She even questions why he'd go looking for anything. He has the perfect life, the perfect relationship with Widmore, everything he wants. But he wants to see the list or find out why he can't, and she tells him that he isn't ready yet. She then walks away, leaving him very perplexed. This scene, and again, it's one of those, if you pull at it too much, you know, it, it all falls apart. What right. the hell does Eloise know and does she not know? And is she, like, she knows things oddly somehow, maybe from Daniel's journal, some people have speculated, but she knows all of these things and she can seem to, you know, know that uh, uh, in the, what was it, the Flashes Before Your Eyes episode that, you know, kind of he's out of time and and not doing things the way he's supposed to now here she kind of has these weird like i'm out of time and I, I know things that i shouldn't know powers like what the hell is up with eloise i mean i think the two episodes uh and how she is are completely disconnected i think the the flashes before your eyes are much more of a uh, a daniel's journal type of thing where this one it almost seems like she she's aware of this this purgatory type place um and i think it's one of the in the last episode or somewhere around there where she says you're not going to take daniel with you right and i think she's just she knows what's going on and she's just trying to 
kind of put it off so she could spend time with her son who, I mean, she never really got to ever. Um, so maybe that, but how she knows, I mean, yeah. I, get, well, I don't know. How does she know this? Stuff? Yeah. And like, again, it's, she says well, flat out, like it's a violation. Like she knows, you know, like the, how she knows part, you know, she knows someone has affected the way he's seeing things. At one point she says it's a violation. Then at the next point she says, you're not ready yet. Like it's just, it's very odd. And if she was going to pull that whole, are you taking Daniel with you thing? Realistically, you know, obviously she doesn't know what Desmond's going to do, but it's more, she's not ready than he's not ready. Right. Oh, uh, well, I mean, I get it. the whole thing with the flash sideways. Like you said, if you pull too much at it, it falls apart, but they built that place to move on together. So since none of them remembered yet, then Desmond's technically not ready because he doesn't have his his group with him. So, I mean, he's not ready. But then again, when you think about it, is if their most important time in life was on the island and this is a place they built together, then why is Minkowski there? Why is Eloise there? Why is Widmore there? None of that really makes sense to any of that. So I have no answer. Well, see, the... Minkowski Widmore thing. I can I can argue that at least because well Widmore for sure because that's Desmond just wanted to have his approval so I get that but Minkowski I mean Desmond knew him for five minutes before he went crazy right so, but, uh, but I would I would argue it's the it's the same thing with uh, in the uh, Saeed episode and the the Jin and Son uh, episode where um, what's his Kimi. Is there? Oh, and, and Mikhail. Yeah, and and I would argue there's there's this thing that like when you dream and you see people, all the faces that you see in your dreams are people that you've actually seen at some point in real life. Like we cannot, our brain does not have the the possibility to imagine like actual real faces. So every face that you see, and this is something that I read. I don't necessarily know how true this is. I haven't done a lot of research, but they say that every uh, face that you see in a dream is someone that you have seen at some point in your real life, whether it's, you know, on TV or walking down the street or what have you. So the fact that Minkowski is there, Eloise and, and, you know, I can't necessarily explain that, but uh, Minkowski and like Kimi and Mikhail and, and all of that, I can explain that as they needed to fill this place with people. So why not people that they all knew or that, you know, some of them knew and could in theory cross over between, you know, these other people? I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I mean, do, do they really have the power to put, only the people there that they think should be there anyway. So yeah, I mean, I, I, I get that. Because it's just, just feel, it, I guess. Yeah. Because there's that also, that's the a question. Um, and I guess I, you know, we could ask it in regards to Charles and uh, uh, George Minkowski here with that. Like, I like to think that this is not Widmore's, post death this is not george minkowski's post death whatever you know like we don't know what actually happened you know obviously we don't we don't know what happens after death we we have our beliefs or whatever of what have you know heaven or you know nothing or whatever you reincarnation whatever you believe obviously everyone has their own different 
thoughts on it. But within the context of this show, this is what happens to these people. What happened after Jacob died? Like, did Jacob, the man in black, and mother have some sort of reunion somewhere post, you know, death, whatever? Mm-hmm. Uh, so I like to think, personally, this is not the real Charles Widmore. This is not the real George Minkowski. That was not the real Kimi or Mikhail. They were just props, basically, for the characters whose afterlife this really was. Okay. So maybe it's the same thing with Eloise, and she's just like, have you seen Vanilla Sky? I have not. You've not seen uh-huh. Vanilla Sky? Go not watch Vanilla Sky. Cool. Um, so, uh, all right, I won't I won't discuss it then because it's a huge spoiler for Vanilla Sky. You, you, you can. No, I'm... you need to go see this movie. <laughs> I'm but... not saying I won't watch it, but it's it's that was what like in the early 2000s so like spoiler warning goes out the window in my opinion all right um so tom cruise is having visions of this guy and he's kind of very similar to eloise where he's like here's the rules here's what's going on and he's like how are you doing things how you know and then man i don't want to spoil this movie for you but it's going to happen now so (laughs) so at the end of the movie we find out that uh he died and he is depending on your on the theories you want to go with that he he died and he is in um a cryogenically frozen um coma and or whatever and this whole movie has been basically a dream and this guy that he's seeing is basically tech support um and he's trying to you know calm him down from freaking out so maybe that's kind of what this is but you know not in the technical sense of it but maybe it's like a guardian angel type of thing where she's just taking this form because Desmond's familiar with it, and he's the one that's upsetting kind of the balance in this world. And so maybe she just like kind of took that form and tried to steer him in the right direction. See, I could I could go with that. I could go with the fact that like like I said, considering my my personal theory, and I don't know if you guys subscribe to it or not, but the fact that like these other peripheral characters don't necessarily it's not really them. It, they're just you know a a, a prop. But I could definitely go with their props, but Eloise is something bigger. Mm-hmm. You know? well, right. I mean, especially since you mentioned, you know, that that uh, what he's doing is a violation. So, you know, apparently she's privy to, to rules and, and things like that of, of how this is supposed to work. So she, she does seem to be in the know, obviously, uh, to some extent, at least. So, yeah, I, I, I could certainly go with that. Or maybe it's even possible that Eloise had the same experience after she died and she was with, you know, Widmore and the others and whoever else did their thing. And now she's special and she's coming back to help out, you know, Desmond and her son and whoever else with the next, you know, step of the way or whatever. Yeah. Who knows? Mysterious character. Yeah. But see, like I said, and I mean, I'll go with the whole a lot of things from her especially with regards to Desmond are Daniel's journal but just the way that that she was treated in flashes before your eyes I know you said to you they're two separate things but she's almost always been treated that sort of way of knowing way more than she should mm-hmm. in in these sort of sorts of instances when she's in the lighthouse I feel like she doesn't necessarily have these powers I, I feel like Perhaps even in flashes before your eyes, it may not have actually been Eloise. It may have just been 
someone taking Eloise's form so that whatever, you know, because do we, do we, I can't remember off the top of my head, do we see, like, Desmond recognizes her when he makes it to the, to the church before they go back to the island. Desmond recognizes her, but she doesn't seem to, to mention to him, like, oh yeah, I had to convince you to, to get rid of the ring or whatever, right? So is it possible that that wasn't even her, it's just to him it was her? It could be another, yeah, Jacob premonition thing or uh, aberration, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. We'll have to talk to uh, Damon and Carlton at some point, find out what's going on. <laughs> Get them on the show. I've, I mean, if somebody, you know, has been listening from the beginning and every time I say write that, I, I just yell that out sometimes. I'll be like, write that down. We got to ask that at the next Q&A or something. Somebody probably has a list of all the questions that we that we that we've all talked uh uh about that are still unanswered other than of course the the outrigger scene but there are just these various questions that throughout the this podcast we've all just been like you know we got to write that down and i never do i hope someone out there is but (laughs) that's a there's another one um a moment later, uh, Desmond gets back in the limo, and George thinks that it went bad, but for a different reason. Uh, Desmond gets some alcohol and tells Minkowski to just drive. But before they leave, Daniel Faraday, except he introduces himself as Daniel Widmore, knocks on the window to the limo. And a moment later, uh, Desmond and Daniel sit on a bench to talk. Desmond tries apologizing about Charlie, but Daniel changes the subject to love at first sight. Daniel goes on to say that he was at a museum, or this museum, a few weeks ago, and saw a woman that works there with blue eyes, red hair, eating a chocolate bar. Love at first sight. He felt he already loved her, and then things got weird. Uh, I want to take a moment here to, to mention the fact that this is, of course, extremely similar to what he was just told by Charlie. So this has to be, like he's, you know, Daniel says, then then things got weird. To Desmond, at this moment, this has to be really weird because this is twice within a span of a few hours that two different guys have told him almost the exact same thing as well. Right, right. And it also has to be weird because both Charles Widmore and Eloise Widmore, presumably, have accents, but yet, Daniel doesn't. So explain that one to me. If they've if they've raised him together as a family in this timeline, Daniel should have an accent. Just throwing that out there. Unless they lived in America and went to American schools and he hung around American children. But you would he think, might. Yeah. But you would think growing up. And again, we, we know he didn't grow up because of what the concept of the flash side yeah. is. But growing up, he would have interacted with them more but and she, gotten their accent. Right. And not necessarily. You could lose an accent. My mom has a stronger New York accent than I do. Um, so, I mean, you could just, it's, you could lose an accent if he's, or he, I don't know. It's just, it's not something I've really thought about, but well, I, yeah. I, I know true. plenty of people that have accents and their parents don't or vice versa. So, yeah. okay. I mean, maybe he had a nanny for, for the first <laughs> yeah. several years of his life. You know, they, they seem like busy people. So, I mean, that's, I mean, that's definitely very possible. Yeah. Maybe um, it was Teresa, the same one that raised Boone. Oh, my God. Oh, <laughs> oh, oh, oh. Um, one other thing I want to point out, again, another filming location thing I thought was kind of interesting is that earlier we see Charlie crash Desmond into the marina, which is where they had the famous picture of Penny and Desmond that we first see. Um, 
then we find out later on that they never were at the marina and it's just the backdrop for a photographer and that picture was actually taken uh where the limo was parked so it's all kind of full circle there again oh wow that's kind of cool uh okay so daniel pulls out a notebook and shows desmond who has no idea what he's looking at but daniel also says being a musician he has no idea so he took them to a friend of his at Caltech who said it's quantum mechanics, equations so advanced only someone who'd been studying their entire life would know them. He tells Desmond to imagine a catastrophic event and the only way to stop it is setting off a nuclear bomb. And he then asks about how this may not be uh, to save their lives. Uh, or I'm sorry, how this may not be their lives. Sorry. Uh, he also tells Desmond that he doesn't want to set off a bomb. He thinks he already did. Desmond is very confused, but Daniel counters that the woman Desmond is looking for, Penny, is his half-sister. They talk about what they felt, if they uh, felt it at all, and Daniel claims that it's love. And he also tells Desmond that he'll help Desmond find Penny. So even in this timeline, somehow, some way, Penny and uh, uh, Charles are daughter and father, despite the fact that Charles was with Eloise, and that's uh, you know some soap opera type drama, I guess that uh, we didn't get to see. I would have liked to though. Uh, I mean, who is Penny older, or is Desmond older, or is uh, uh, Faraday older? In the regular timeline, I believe Penny's older. So it could have just yeah. been a kid from a prior marriage, and then he hooked up with with uh, Eloise. Because I mean, they weren't together on the island in this in this timeline, so they could have just met somewhere else. And yeah. so no drama, just divorce and a new kid. It happens. Oh, that's that's not as fun. <laughs> nope. Sorry. <laughs> uh, later on. Desmond. Okay, well, wait. So before we get to, to Desmond actually meeting Penny, which of course is arguably one of the biggest uh, points in this episode, do we have anything about the fact that now Daniel is also trying to convince Desmond about, uh, you know, the fact that this isn't their real lives and all this other stuff? Like, he didn't want to hear it with Charlie, but he clearly knows that he felt something. And now he's hearing it from, from well, Faraday. And Faraday flat out tells him, I can I can get you further. Like basically he doesn't he doesn't necessarily say it here, but we as the audience see Charlie introduced him to this concept. The the MRI, you know, furthered it. And now Faraday is flat out saying, I can get you even further with I'm gonna tell you who Penny is and how to find her. So like this is all happening very quick for for Desmond here. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one thing I, I kind of liked and then kind of don't like after the fact is his line about, you know, I think he blew up a bomb because obviously they were trying to uh, convince us or kind of lead us towards again that they they blew up the bomb and now this is the alternate universe that would have happened if the Swan was never built. Um, but then we find out at the end that that didn't really matter. So that whole line was kind of pointless. It's just kind of a, a red herring, I guess. Well, but I mean, technically by what he thinks 
by when he died, he did. Or they were because they were about to, in theory, blow up the bomb. So I guess by what he knows from the time he was alive, if he's just getting, you know, flashbacks or these these memories from when he was alive, it would have been, oh my gosh, not again, not with the full context, because I, I I would like to think that this that his what what's happening for him is similar to what we said with Charlie, where he has an idea that something isn't right, but he does and he's he's chasing something he's for uh for faraday it's chasing these these equations but he hasn't necessarily put all the pieces together yet so for him just by well how could i know all of this he may already think like oh wow maybe i did set off a bomb because depending on how many notes he has he may even have certain journal stuff that he had from the regular timeline okay yeah i could see that uh, all right, so getting towards the end of our episode, and like I said, arguably the biggest uh, point here, later Desmond arrives at a stadium and sees Penny doing a tour de stad, much like he himself did in Another Life. Pun. Uh, as he stops, or as she stops, he introduces himself, and she shakes his hand hesitantly. Back on the island we go there very quickly Widmore's team are checking on Desmond confirming that he's awake Desmond asks how long he was out for but it was just a few seconds Widmore apologizes to him but Desmond says that he understands and that he's ready to start Uh, in the jungle Zoe and some other goons are leading Desmond through as Zoe asks what happened to him she mentions how 20 minutes earlier Desmond was beating the crap out of Widmore and now they're teaming together she mentions his brain being fried, and he questions if it actually was. Saeed then suddenly appears from the jungle, attacks Widmore's people, and tells Zoe to run, which she does. And he tells Desmond there isn't time to explain, but they need to go now. And Desmond agrees. Uh, and then back in the flash sideways, Desmond is on the ground having passed out. Uh, Penny's trying to wake him up because they shook hands and he fainted. She says that she must have an effect on him, and he laughs, but does confirm this, of course. Uh, She tells him that he seems familiar and asks if they'd met before, but he says that he'd remember it. And he asks if she'd like to go for coffee and that he'll meet her in an hour. She then leaves, and he sighs, very relieved. A moment later, he gets back into the limo very happy, George asks him if he found what he's looking for, and Desmond confirms. Uh, He also tells George where to go and asks George for the passenger list for the Oceanic flight. George asks why, and Desmond says that he needs to show them all something. And that's my final note for this episode. So that part was always kind of confusing, Um, and I guess even more so after you find out what the sideways is. So as we discussed before, did they kill him? And then he kind of went to the flash sideways, and then they brought him back. Because um, obviously he's he's awake and he's walking around and, and doing whatever on the island. But then he's also still in the flash sideways? Or is that supposed to be what happened before he woke up? But the way they cut it, it looks like he fainted and then he woke up in on the island. But then there's still flash sideways stuff going on. So it's kind of a weird no time exists here, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's confusing. I think it's, I mean, I agree. And I think it's, again, one of those, you know, don't necessarily dig too much 
into it, kind of take it at face value sort of things. But I think it's, um, it could even be that uh, he, in the regular timeline, he experiences these flash sideways, you know, death doesn't know exactly what it is because he even says to i believe it's jack later on maybe it's even in the finale where he's just like you know i saw another whatever where we are all together you know the plane landed and i'm there and you're there and and so on and so forth and i don't think he realizes what it is but i i i wonder if when he fainted just like we saw he had these little flashes he sees the the not penny's boat he has these things of Penny. Then he meets Penny and passes out. I wonder if that was his kind of final thing. Because now that he's like, he gets in the limo and he's, he seems so sure of himself now. Like, mm-hmm. I have a thing, whatever. So I wonder if when he passed out, he had another sort of like final, like, hey, here's what everything is and now that's when he kind of sets off on his mission of i need to show all the rest of them this because he kind of knew earlier in the episode but now by the time he gets into this limo he's certain so i wonder if that's what it was when he passed out we just didn't see it oh i think 100 percent that happened um just the, the questioning of it is just i mean since there's no time in in the flash sideways i guess it doesn't really matter but it's just how they you know quote unquote killed him he went to flash sideways, then he fainted and came to on the island, but then he's also still in the flash sideways at the same time, which technically is possible as you saw with Juliet and Sawyer at the beginning of season, I guess season six. Yeah, yeah. the beginning of the season. So it's possible. It just was one of those weird cuts that that uh, just kind of made it kind of confusing. Um. So yeah, that's. Uh happily ever after it's uh, again there's some stuff you know kind of some eloise stuff that we're like oh how does this exactly work out and whatever and you know even this sort of ending thing of like where does it fall and whatever but um i i would argue this is one of the better episodes of this season we you know we talked at the beginning about how there isn't necessarily you know a bad season as you guys were were kind of saying but in terms of uh, I I mean, one of the things that I like particularly about this episode is it's Desmond and Charlie again. And obviously we haven't seen that in a very, very long time. But this mm-hmm. is also the, the episode, as I said, that very much sets up this last kind of chunk of episodes of season six. Like now we're revving up because like now, even as fans at the, you know, at the time that it was airing, now it's like, okay. Desmond knows like he know he doesn't obviously we don't know what he knows because we we still didn't know uh, what the sideways were but right at this right. point it's like okay he knows something is up here and we think that some of the characters have like little hints of it you know they look in the mirror and some of them you know we, we question do they look and go oh wow I look so old or you know what is what are these these mirror shots that they're do you know that they've done throughout the season and whatever but by the end of this he knows and he's setting out on his mission of I'm gonna make them all realize whatever it is I've realized so I I mean it 
we're we're revving up now. We're getting towards the you know the finale is in sight basically by by the end of of this episode. So I this is another reason why I kind of like this one. Now one qu- thing I wanted to bring up too was that the the experiment that Widmore did uh, to me he had no clue about the flash sideways. It was just he was testing Desmond for the the water plug in the cave thing. But I've seen other people argue online that he was trying to send Desmond into the flash sideways to help out with everything else over there. What's your take on that? I don't agree with that at all. Okay, good. Neither do I. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think he had anything I'll be honest, when it was first happening, you know, when season six was happening, I did think there was going to be some sort of thing where because we didn't obviously we didn't know what the sideways was so i thought there may have been some sort of thing like we know desmond can travel you know backwards and forwards and whatever in time so it would make sense if he was the character who could jump back and forth between the timelines right Mm -hmm. so back then there was theories even amongst like the few people that i know like my one of my cousins and stuff uh, would talk about kind of some of the, the stuff regarding lost And so back then, I remember people saying that they thought that Desmond in the original timeline and Desmond in the sideways timeline were going to try to gather everybody. And then somehow some I don't know what we we didn't necessarily come up with a what or I didn't I don't remember seeing a what, but somehow something would happen that would then merge the timelines or whatever. But it would be Desmond via jumping back and forth between the timelines. Yeah, I remember reading stuff about that as well, yeah. Back then, I could have bought that. But now, knowing what we know, I don't think at all that Widmore had any idea about this. I think he just wanted to see if Desmond, like you said, could survive this thing because of the the cork thing. Right. Yeah, I still see people arguing against that, but whatever. People are dumb. What you going to do? They are... And this is this is a definitive lost pod, not the definitive lost podcast, but this is a definitive lost podcast. And I'm well, I don't want to say in my rights, but I am declaring via the, what we have dubbed on this show as the canon canon. I'm going to sound the canon canon and say that theory is not canon. Agreed. <laughs> Agreed. Um, all right. So. Other than declaring that now, do we have anything else we want to uh, talk about before we uh, wrap up the happily ever after discussion? I don't think so. I think we covered it. Good. Yeah. All right. Well, then, do you guys want to let them know where they can find you all around the Internet? Uh, I am on Instagram at Hollywood underscore IRL. It's an uh, account for movie and TV filming locations. I travel all around and take pictures where they film stuff. Lots of fun. I am Michael Gilman. You can find me on Instagram at michaelgilman.photography. Yeah, basically just take a lot of photos. (laughs) You know what? I'm going to do something a little different here. For the first time, because this isn't going up for probably a a week or two after this uh, recording date, So I'm officially announcing it here because I haven't announced it, announced it yet. To go along with their thing of photography, I myself have started something 
of a not nearly as good as these two's <laughs> photography account on Instagram as well that you can follow. And it's jpcs.pics. It's literally just me taking pictures with an app that I downloaded. I can explain it at another point and probably do a poll and all on it. But uh, I'm trying to take at least one picture a day of just random things going on in my life. So, yeah, to go along with the photography theme, I'm, uh, that's, that's where you can find me. Of course, you can find all of us via Clock Shelves on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. That's C-L-O-C-K-S-H-E-L-V-E-S. Both of these guys have been on Lost with Friends in the past. I believe Mike and I have talked many times about photography on uh, some polynols. You can find more about all of that on ClockShelves.com. And if we don't have anything else, guys, I think I will end with the traditional thank you. Namaste and good luck.